the Phantom Podcast Network on downrightcreepy.com. All right, we have director of Creep 2 and a victim of Peach Fuzz. We have director Patrick Bryce joining us on the Phantom Podcast Network here on downrightcreepy.com. Patrick, how are you, and are you ready for Halloween? I'm doing great, man. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I am kind of ready for Halloween. We have a we have a one-year-old in our house, and uh, he has a costume, but my wife and I don't have costumes yet. That's I'm dealing with that myself. The first year I was six month old, I know the boat that you're in. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so I was able to watch a screener for Creep Two. Uh, I didn't know quite how you guys were going to pull this off in a sequel in, in a unique way, but I felt like you certainly found a way to do that, and you actually kind of flipped things on its head early on. So kudos on doing that. Um, the question I think that I have from the root of Creep Two is. Did you guys do any research at all to, to kind of get the storyline going on creepy Craigslist ads or maybe like killers that kind of evolved out of Craigslist? I didn't know if that shaped Mark's character in this or if it was something that kind of grew organically when you guys were writing partners. You know, it's funny. In terms of any of our research or any of our conversations that we've had, both before this movie and the previous movie, uh, it's never really had to do with us delving into like real stories of serial killers. You know, um, uh-huh. it's, it's mainly come from us, you know, drawing kind of creative inspiration from other places and then, and then taking those inspirations and applying them to this, to this storyline and these themes, you know? Um, yeah. so like with, with the first movie, a lot of that character uh, came out of Mark and I just like, I don't know, kind of finding a common ground in terms of thinking about uh, everyone has met someone or has come across someone or has been thrown into some, have had someone thrown into your life that uh, has been kind of off and like exploring ways in which people can be off that aren't necessarily overt. Uh, maybe stuff you know, maybe exhibiting some kind of trait that, uh, you know, you're, you're picking up on subconsciously or your, your instinct, your spidey sense is saying, Oh, there's, there's something <laughs> wrong with this person, you know? Yeah. Um, and sort of it, the idea was like taking that to its, to its end. And then for creep two, you know, we knew we couldn't rehash the way we approached the first one. And we were thinking about, mainly the character of Sarah, this other character that's in the movie and thinking about, you know, what's her, what's this person's reason for being there and coming into Aaron slash Joseph slash peach fuzz's orbit at this point. And, uh, and, 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 you know, I, one, I come from kind of a, a background in like con- contemporary art studies. I went to art school and I was actually thinking about this one artist named Laurel Nakadate who, uh, she, she, she would, she, she, as one of her projects, she's kind of a performance artist. She's actually married to Rick Moody, the author that wrote, uh, the ice Storm. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and, and, and she had this project where she would, she would actually, uh, you know, men would approach her on the street and try to talk to her. And she would, and also I think she did a thing where she answered Craigslist ads for like companionship too, but she would actually talk to these guys and sometimes go back to their house and get them to agree 
to for her to film herself in their houses <laughs> and so you're you're watching these strange interactions with like just this underlying tension because you know that this is a real interaction that's happening and you're kind of fearing in fear of her but she's also the one in control you know uh, and that was that was that was sort of the genesis of us thinking about this this other character and, and thinking of someone who uh, you know is a little off and hopefully would would be you know a match for uh, for Peach Fuzz. Yeah, that's great context around that. I the thing about Aaron Mark's character is that he you know he's done weird stuff. You know he's a bit off, and if you watch the first one, you know what he's about. But you still have like he's still likable like in a weird way. And so that comes across in a really interesting way. Cause when I'm watching it, I already know the context behind it, but I'm still sort of rooting for him. I'm kind of interested to see what he's going to do next, but it's a, it's a really cool character study that comes across great on film. I think. Um, Thanks. Yeah. I mean, part of that is just, you know, we, with the first movie, we're kind of playing on Mark's previous persona, which is, you know, essentially been like, the sweet boyfriend in a hoodie, uh, who, who, you know, who's, who's there for you to, to, to cry in his lap or, or cook you dinner if you need it, you know? And, uh, and it was sort of taking a lot of those aspects of Mark's personality and, and turning them on their head and, and using them for more sinister purposes. So it's kind of like taking his, his natural charisma and, and, and putting it into a darker place, which thankfully, uh, you know, feels new and isn't something, you, especially you normally see in horror. You know, Mark and I aren't horror guys, and uh, I think we've only benefited from like you know. But we appreciate the genre, and we, we sure. find it so much fun to play in, and we're so excited that, that horror fans are, are gleaning onto the movie. But uh, you know, so having the opportunity with a sequel of like kind of taking these ideas that we were originally flailing about, not really knowing what we we're doing for the most part with the first one, just kind of riding on instinct and, uh, and then trying to use them in a somewhat more deliberate fashion, but, you know, still, still feeling the same way, still feeling the same amount of like nervousness, even while we're making it of like, is this working? Are people going to buy this? Is this stupid? You know, uh, <laughs> that's, that's everybody uh, on every project. I feel like, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think anybody, yeah. Anybody that's, uh, you know, from the from the bottom up, who's who's worth their salt, uh, questions themselves or what they're doing at, at, at any given moment while they're making something. And sure. I think that's what, you know, that's that's what makes uh, that's what makes stuff great is, is is the ability to be self critical. I think while you while you're doing it, you know. When uh, when we so I know that this is out on digital platforms. When when or if this gets a full release on Blu-ray or something to that effect. Um, is there any chance we'll see actual episodes of Encounters play out as extra content anywhere where we see a full episode? Because even the character studies in those are super interesting <laughs> and yeah. something I would probably maybe actually consider watching if it was on YouTube, which is kind of ironic because she's struggling. So, Yeah, I mean, we were under the gun getting this movie made. Uh, You know, we had a release date that we were working towards, and uh, we'd actually shot it before my my son was born. Okay, and so and so, you know, I went into the kind of hibernation period of having an infant, and uh, Mark went off to do something else, and our editor Chris had another job, so it was like. it was a little while. Oh, it was Room 104. We were all working on Room 104. Yeah. So 
that kind of became a, a bit of a distraction in terms of getting the movie made. And then finally our distributor was like, Hey, you guys you should release it before Halloween. And that's what kind of lit a fire under our pants to get it done. And so we, I think we had that idea of having like having a secret YouTube website that people could go to, but it was just like, it was just a lot of work and we wanted to make sure that energy was being put into finishing the movie. Sure. But you know, there's a, there's a chance, especially now that the, you know, in the last week, the response has been kind of insane and, <laughs> and like, and, and unanimous. And so, you know, we, we, we that we're, we're listening to that and it's getting us excited about many different avenues we can take in terms of, you know, making stuff related to this. It's, it's super exciting. I would have loved to have seen just randomly in some markets, like Craigslist ads go up with the exact one that was in the movie just to see yeah. if people made a connection and then had some random encounters YouTube thing, like I'd love to see all that happen. So I'm not saying, uh, I'm not trying to give you any input here, but no, no, no. I'm <laughs> just saying. I'm taking, I'm, I'm taking notes. This is great. It's perfect. Uh, so I want to ask a little bit about this uh, process when you're shooting something like this. That's kind of got this found feature or found footage type of feel to it. How much of this, especially working with Mark and Sarah, just having two people. Um, working together, how much of it is a straight read versus script or loose interpretation for improving scenes? And was there anything specific that stood out to you during a take that kind of surprised you? And you're like, Oh man, that was great. We have to keep that, that piece in. I don't want to give away, you know, spoilers or anything, but yeah, well, you know, uh, Mark and I's approach of these movies is more heavy on the improv Mm-hmm. improvisational approach than, than than with most movies. Uh, the first movie we made off of a five-page outline that didn't even have any dialogue in it. <laughs> and this one is a 15-page kind of scriptment that did have dialogue and had some moments that we knew we definitely wanted. Um, a lot of that stuff changed, though. You know, I mean, because we shoot these movies in continuity, we have the ability to make adjustments as we go along if something doesn't feel creatively right you know and uh that's the nice thing about it too is sometimes you'll be making you'll be shooting something based on a script and you'll be in the middle of it and say oh man you know i wish uh i wish i had a better idea for this or i know this isn't working but i also like feel this immense pressure having a huge crew around and and, you know uh, i'll try to adjust but but it's going to take some time and with with these movies it's just you know, this movie was, was five of us making this movie out in the forest. And so (laughs) we could actually like take an hour and like, you know, Mark and I go into a room and sort of like hibernate a little bit and bounce ideas off each other. Uh, but yeah, there are a few moments and there's, I mean, yeah, there's a, you know, there's moments in the movie that are completely scripted. Uh, A few of the, uh, the the monologues that Mark has are are examples of that. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, uh, and then there's some great, like, offhand stuff, you know, like the whole, like, Francis Ford Coppola motif. That that sort of came up while we were making the movie and was something we just decided to run with. And That's awesome. Funny. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting, like, you and Mark and kind of your group of friends, I heard him speak at South By a couple of years ago as a keynote speaker and talking about his process a little bit. And, and if you have a passion, you have an idea, it's so easy now to do it, to just do it. And that seems like the heart 
of what Creep 2 is. You know, you guys had this idea. There's not a lot of script. It's more outline. And you just went out with five people, shot it in the woods. And that I think those are awesome stories to hear uh, from people consuming the film, but also filmmakers that have ideas that don't think they can do it. Um, so I really appreciate that uh, level of effort from you guys. And yeah, uh, thanks. Yeah, no, Mark, that speech I think is really important. I think it's something most film students should listen to and for sure. helpful, you know, because um, I think it's both realistic and uh, also, but also inspirational at the same time. And one thing that I take away from that, um, and the, the, the thing that I think differentiates Mark's approach when it comes to these sort of flying by the seat of your pants ways of making stuff is you know, we do have the major beats worked out before we go do it. So we sure. have a bit of a safety, a bit of a safety net, you know, it's not just like, cause you can get frustrated if you just go out there and they're like, let's just do it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, All sorts of things could go wrong. But <laughs> Oh yeah. 100%. And so like the fact that there is enough foresight to keep you grounded and, uh, you know, within the confines of making something that, that at least works, uh, you know, in terms of the major beats, like that's important, but then also doesn't stifle you in terms of going off the beaten path when you feel you should, or um, you know, accepting sort of what the universe is, is is giving you in terms of like things you were not necessarily expecting. Sure. Um, also, I think it's very helpful to have like one clear idea that you're trying to articulate you know i think a lot of times people bite off more than they can chew when it comes to these smaller movies and uh knowing knowing your limitations and and knowing if you have like one clear idea that you can articulate effectively uh then then you're going to be in much better shape you know i always go back to like their first movie mark and jay the first movie that played at sundance and that people saw was this like five minute movie of a guy trying to leave the outgoing message on his answering machine. <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, and, and that is something that I think a lot of people have experienced and, uh, and <laughs> you know, we're able to jump on and it's just very, very funny. So, uh, you know, the simple, sim- simple, simple is better when you're, when you're dealing with trying to make something on your own, you know? Well, speaking of simple is better. I want to know a little more about peach fuzz because we got this kind of simplistic mask um, but I want to know where the idea for Peach Fuzz came from because I consider him, in some ways, in the short amount of time that you know this character's been around, to be a kind of a new modern horror icon because he's fun and silly. But more importantly, the mask isn't really that scary, but it's the person lying under the mask, which says a lot about the character. I feel like because you know we've got this thing that that feels like it's supposed to be a scary character. But really, it's the man behind the mask that is driving all that. So I was just curious where the idea to incorporate Peach Fuzz into the film um, came into play when we see so much of just Aaron and Mark's character throughout the movie. In the first movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you don't... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to give too much away for the second one, but... Yeah. Excuse me. I think that was something that, that, you know, came out of us just thinking you know, creating this scenario of this, uh, this Craigslist encounter happening and this transaction happening. 
and then thinking, you know, what if this person had a mask and what if that mask had a name and <laughs> how like insanely freaky that would be to actually have that experience. And, you know, out of, it was out of that, that the mask kind of became, you know, almost like a talisman for, mm -hmm. for, for Mark's character. You know, I, I don't even know what Mark's character's name is at this point, but, you know, <laughs> out of, out of that, out of that character. And, uh, and, you know, having it around, is both a comfort for him, but I think it also is like maybe a license to do bad things. And uh, yeah, there's, you know, it's funny because we, we definitely wanted to incorporate it in the second one. We knew, like that was one of the things that people really, really, really loved about the first movie. Yeah. And this kind of mystery that was attached to it. Uh, and, you know, it was, I feel like I was feeling a little guilty because I feel like we only kind of teased it in the second one. You know, there's only a few moments with it, but I think those moments are kind of pointed and uh, kind of speak to the longer story. And, you know, it's definitely going to be something that, that, that shows up again if and when we do make more movies, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I was happy to just get a nod to Peach Fuzz, even if it's not full-blown quite as much as it was in the first one. But, okay, I'm going to wrap up with a... Halloween 10-pack. We got Halloween just around the corner. Uh, so I want to give you 10 quick, rapid questions to answer that are Halloween-related. Okay. All right? Uh, just a yes or no or first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Uh, number one, one movie you watch every Halloween or try to watch every Halloween? Halloween. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, Go for the best. Yeah, right? Uh, number two, candy corn. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up. I love it. I was deprived of sugar when I was a kid. My parents were hippies, and uh, the discovery of candy corn was huge for me, So I, I, and I still love it. That's a good answer. We'll agree to disagree. Uh, <laughs> favorite Halloween costume as a kid? Oh, man. I went as... Um I went as a gangster one year when I was like 10 or 11 and uh, like almost like a, a, a zoot suit gangster. And there's some really, really funny pictures of me with holding a briefcase that my dad had handcuffed for, to my wrist for some reason. There's something, <laughs> there something important in that briefcase. Um, so that was, you know, that was a makeshift one. I basically wearing one of my dad's suits. Interesting. What's your favorite Halloween costume as an adult before you had a child? <laughs> Uh, in 2000, me and my friends dressed as Ghostbusters, uh, where my, my buddy, my best friend had gone online and designed his, our own DIY Ghostbusters packs for us that spent like, he spent like six months working on them and had, they had a working speaker playing out of the back that played the Ghostbusters theme, uh, on loop the entire night, uh, and so that was that was a lot of fun. That was before this whole resurgence of Ghostbusters. So yeah, it was it was kind of it was still a unique thing at that point. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I have a friend that did that too. There's a whole subculture of that. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, no, for sure. Do you believe in ghost? Um, you know, I, I'm kind of agnostic when it comes to that. Like, I, I don't not believe, but mm -hmm. I also uh, uh, don't want to mess with anything yeah. that might be might be there that I don't know about so I I'm I'm res I'm respectful for sure. Yeah, I think I fall into that boat too. Uh, favorite I haven't I haven't had any personal experiences though with it. I do have friends that have though. 
Yeah, yeah, I've got some, but probably too long to talk about now. What is your uh, favorite paranormal, urban legend, or myth? Oof. I don't know. Um, I mean, you know, those. I I grew up with those those scary stories to tell in the dark. I love those. those. Was, was, I don't remember if like Scholastic put them out, but they yeah. seemed to be available when you'd get those book fair uh, catalogs at school. Um, and you know, I read those over and over again. And there's always that one, like the, the hitchhiker that, that it turns out they were they were dead the whole time, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And that that always like sent chills down my spine, even when I was a kid. There's a scary movies uh, documentary coming out. I think we're going to be showing it at our film festival, so you should check that out sometime next year. Cool. Uh, VHS, cool. VHS or digital, consuming. Well, you know, I, I have a. Uh, you mean in 2017? Sure. Digital. Yeah. Well, yeah. Digital, of course. Um, yeah. But but I grew up in the woods uh, and didn't go out to the movie theater that much. And so my discovery and love of cinema came from watching movies on VHS. For sure. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Just the era uh, we grew up in. Yeah. And looking at the boxes and and the covers and, you know, uh, so, you know, VHS definitely has a a strong place in my heart uh, because of that. Uh, And, you know, certain movies have a quality that I think is really great. Like, I love it when people actually, like, I loved Trash Humpers. You know, I love <laughs> yeah. the fact that, that he shot that on VHS and, like, that movie demanded that, to have, to have that textural quality to it. Yeah, um, add something to it. Yeah, and I like, and I like, and I'm fine with digital. I just, I don't like it when people use digital to try to replicate film. Um, you know, I think if you're going to shoot digital, just try to make the best digital image you can, uh, throwing a bunch of like cheesy, you know, fake digital scratches over it is yeah. not going to do anything for me, you know? I agree. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, you know, I'm also like, uh, I came, I, you know, I've, I've, I've come of age in terms of my filmmaking at a time where I couldn't really make the movies I'm making if uh, digital filmmaking wasn't available to me. Sure. So, uh, most interesting serial killer. Oof. You know, I mean, I always go back to Ted Bundy just because mm-hmm. I feel like the the fact that he was able to do it for so long, the fact that he had this um, you know personality that people just gleaned onto, uh, and he used that for evil. And you know, the Mark Mark definitely has some aspects of that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and the fact that he that he broke out of prison or that he escaped during his trial and uh, you know like it, that is a that is a that is kind of an epic story that hasn't really like I didn't see the film that, that the last film that came out about him but there's another script that's floating around Hollywood that's actually really great and I hope it gets made I'm not sure if it will I just last I heard was that. Zach Efron was cast as Ted Bundy, which you know, depending on who the director is, that's maybe a great choice or a terrible choice. <laughs> right. Um, they just had My Name Is Dahmer coming out pretty soon as well, so we'll see how that that goes. Yeah, I, and I read that graphic novel and I really dug it. Um, but you know that 
I don't know. There's something about the Ted Bundy story that feels like like that that, that story took place over decades. Yeah, know? yeah, it's definitely an uh, interesting case for sure. Yeah. Um, this one's going to be a weird question. Maybe or maybe you don't don't know what it is. You can say pass if you don't. But uh, David S. Pumpkins, any questions? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, what is it? Something, something, something about a bitch. I don't remember what. I don't remember, but it's the <laughs> David S. Pumpkins. Yeah, it's the Tom Hanks character from SNL that just like oh, says no, no. any I questions. Yeah, oh, I was thinking uh, Larry David. Larry oh. David's SNL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the last one. This will be an easy one because I feel like you hinted hinted at it a bit already. But will we get a Creep Three on the horizon? I mean, I can neither confirm or deny at this point, but we're definitely having conversations about okay. it. Okay. And, um, you know, I've been thinking more and more about it, and, and I like the idea of, I don't know, you know, I think I think Creek 2 is kind of our Evil Dead 2, you know? It was mm-hmm. kind of our chance to, like, take a lot of the ideas and, and themes that we had going through the first movie and then, um, you know, playing on those towards a specific audience uh you know letting it be funnier uh and and just like you know sort of like having our creative win with it so i like the idea of if we do do a third movie it being our our army of darkness you know and yeah going going off going kind of off the rails but we'll, we'll see that's an interesting comparison i like that that makes that actually brings a lot of context around your thought process behind that i think um, well, yeah, I mean, that movie had no money, you know, the first movie had no money, and they're sure. making this movie out in the woods, and, you know, it was over the course of years, and they didn't really, you know, they kind of figured it out as they went, and that's how, that was how the first movie went for us, and yeah. all of a sudden they had the ability to make a sequel, and um, kind of, you know, it's a different experience making a movie knowing you have an audience, for sure, it's, it's a lot more pressure, um, but I gotta say, like, the fact that... The fact that people are people are into it and digging it is is just I mean it's it's just like we're over the moon right now we're so excited yeah I think it's going to be received super well so that that wraps up the ten pack uh, Patrick I want to say thanks again for your time today everybody should check out Creep Two on digital VOD platforms now um, thanks again take care and have a good Halloween man thank you so much this has been a treat you've been listening to the Phantom Podcast Network on downrightcreepy.com Follow us on iTunes and SoundCloud for more creepy shows. ha 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 ha